Hello and welcome to the New Ears Podcast, an auditory exploration of the art of the album. I'm your host, Jonathan Humphrey. In this episode, we're going to be taking a listen to the album Futurisms by Myomarker. Myomarker formed in 1997 after members of three southeastern punk hardcore bands decided that they wanted to start playing music together. Those were Dave Laney of the band Griver, Al Buren of the band Hellbender, and Ben Davis of the band Sleepy Time Trio. Futurisms was released in 1998 as their second album and really pushes the boundaries of electronic post-hardcore. My guest today is Jackie King, and I know we both have a lot of love for this album, so I hope people enjoy listening to this conversation as much as we enjoyed having it. Today, I'm here with Jackie King. Jackie, how you doing today? I'm doing awesome, man. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. You know, before we get into talking about this album, which I know we are both excited to talk about, is there anything out there that you want to, uh, any cause you want to promote, any recommendation of something that gets underappreciated, anything you want to tell people about? This is a time for that. Oh, no. Like, uh, my, uh, my days of virtue signaling are pretty far behind me, so I'm just like, at this point... Yeah, there's nothing to want, not here, not here to promote anything. Yeah, just like ready to get into discussing one of the greatest albums I've ever heard. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Well, here we are then. We're going to be talking about Mile Marker Futurisms. And I guess one of the best places to start is what does the name of the album mean to you? To me, and this is just my impression, it's not based on any knowledge about band members' commentary or the creators, but to me it just uh, is about the different trends or ways of viewing the world are going to be years from now and of course this came out in what 2003 2004 oh no this came out in 97 98 Ooh, that was way up that's when i started listening to it was 2003 2004 so for me it was just kind of uh maybe about how we're continuing to put ourselves into more tightly defined spaces and giving less room to kind of explore a variety of things and define ourselves on our own terms if that makes any sense No, that makes sense. And obviously it's very much about technology and the place of human lives as well. And I don't know if for you, but for me, while I was listening, you know, I listen to this album, I go back to it often, but when I was listening to it for this conversation, I just kept thinking, wow, some of these songs are even more relevant now over 20 years later than they were when they were recorded. Definitely. Those themes go through prevalent through the album. Is there anything else about the album that makes you feel like it's a complete statement by itself? Because I think we kind of touched on the themes within the name, for sure. When I think of this album, I think of something that really helped to define my musical taste as an adult. Because, as you know, I grew up in kind of a rural area in North Carolina. So, for me, I was the weird kid who, like, listened to Nirvana and Tupac in, like, the community I lived in. But when I finally moved out of there and started getting into, like, stuff I'd never heard of, because, you know, if it didn't come on MTV or the radio, I wouldn't have been exposed to it. So... I guess kind of all started with like Modest Mouse for me. The Moon in Antarctica would be like one of the first albums that really defined it. But when I heard Futurisms, like this was like a constant in my playlist. The variety of different sounds and things going into it just blew me away. And the pacing of the album, which I know we'll get into when we go track by track, just I can listen to it all the way through even now. It's just hits so hard. Yeah, it's it is a near flawless album for me. 
I really think it's it's almost perfect. So it's great. You know, a lot of times I ask people about their personal history with this band and this album, and you hit on that. So I guess I can tell people a little bit for me, you know, when I was in like eighth or ninth grade, I was like Mr. Punk Rock, and I only listened to like 70s and 80s punk rock. And I had a friend that was starting to get into like emo and pop punk and other forms of punk. And I was like, oh, I don't like that. And this was the first thing he played me that I was like, well, this isn't traditional punk, but I love this. <laughs> this is incredible. And then as I grew, I matured and, and my taste developed to like some of those other things as well. But this was the first one that really hit me that wasn't traditional punk, but it's still, let's talk about it. How you do, you can be as a technical or as untechnical as you want. How would you define this album genre-wise? That's where it gets tricky because I was—it's almost like post-punk emo style, but there's almost a techno feel to it at various points. They get really experimental. What I like to call it is electro post-hardcore. That's a much better way of putting it. I want to tell the story, and I don't know how factual it is, but this is the story I know about this album. For people who aren't familiar with Mile Marker, this is their second album. And their first album, something very different for a subgenre of punk rock, was made of a whole bunch of samples of other hardcore and punk bands, which was really cool. But when touring, you know, they needed a lot of keyboards and synths and samplers and stuff. And apparently one of their big critiques in their early years was like, you can't make hardcore music with keyboards. And I feel like this album is basically Mile Marker being like, hold my beer. Well put. But I'm seriously like, this album hits so hard. I can't, and I think other bands would follow later, but I still think the way they incorporate keyboards into this is the most like punk rock keyboards I've ever heard in my life. For sure. This album hits on so many levels. It's like, I was kind of nervous about the genre question before you even asked because I'm like, oh God, don't make me try to put this into a, to a category. It's almost in a category by itself. Yeah, definitely. I think we hit on it. We hit on the themes of futurism. I mean, kind of living in the birth of the digital age. It's about technology, communications, and the problem with movements, which works with and against what you were saying about putting everything in a little box. I mean, that's what you're doing when you're making like a cultural movement is just boxing off this little thing. Some other spare things I wanted to say about the album is that there are some more straightforward guitar rock songs on this album, but for some reason, even those have a kind of computery feel to me. I don't know if it's the scales they're playing or what it is, does that feel that way to you, or is there something I'm missing there? Yeah, in particular, and uh, I hope I don't butcher this, uh, Somnambulism, I definitely find it there, because that, that's kind of getting into more of a traditional sound, but that, like you said, that computery feels still there. It's like almost like a static in the background, even though there's no static there. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about the overall sound? Just, it's so satisfying to go, as we listen through, pick up on it again, but the way that they go from screaming to scaling it down to like the softer singing and the almost melodious sounds, it's a great contrast throughout the album. Yeah, and the pairing of the, the two main vocalists at this time, I mean, Mile Markers had other singers, but these two have always been in, Al and Dave. The, the pairing of them always works really well, but it's especially highlighted in this album too. Definitely. I have one more like kind of silly note about this album. This is just a testament to how perfect this album is. Three songs on this album have different versions. Some recorded before this album, one recorded after. And even though most of those, I like the other versions, the definitive version is on this album. Like the best version of each of those three songs is the version on Futurisms. They nailed it here every time. 
And we'll talk a little bit more about those as we get in into the individual songs. But it's just it's interesting for an 11 track album to have three songs that the band has redone and they did it the best time here. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to say else. Uh, at the moment, no. I guess uh, I'm just ready to get into the music. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about futurisms track by track. We're back and uh, we're really excited to talk about it. So let's go ahead and play a little snippet of track one, New Lexicon. I think the first thing to say right out of the gate and tell me if you feel differently, but if a mile marker had a hit, this would be that hit. I can see that. And uh, I agree with you to an extent. It's not my favorite song on the album, but definitely. Yeah. 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 I have to backtrack a little bit. I'm not going to disagree. If we're talking about commercial viability, like they could put this out there to promote the album. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, it, it is one of my favorite songs, but there are songs I like a whole lot more. I haven't noted as a standout track, which was really hard for me to do on this album. Cause I've almost every song is a standout track, honestly. Yeah. It just feels like it's the equivalent of Waiting Room by Fugazi or something. Yeah, that Fugazi comparison really comes through here. I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. What did you think of the, the song title, the meaning of the song? So I, my takeaway from it would be that uh, technologies and communications are changing in a way that alters the reality for us and the way that we interact with each other. And that and this is a theme that we see continuing in reality where the more our interactions become uh, less face-to-face, they almost seem less real, but at the same time, they seem more stock seems to be put into those interactions on technology. And especially the lines here where it says, uh, we don't need Big Brother to enforce the new lexicon. It's uh, interesting how we see different social media companies now kind of being private companies. They're supposed to be platforms for speech, but there's this argument about, uh, well, is it free speech if they get to define what's said on this platform? It's just a whole lot going on here and how, despite the fact that we've been brought closer together at worldwide through technology, we seem to be going back further and further into like smaller scale things. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's that's highlighted especially in the the very first line of the song like train everyone to speak the same inane phrases and we see that going on meme culture is is people repeating the same phrases so that's an interesting take and it's definitely one of the things i i like about this album is i think things are layered i that take on it it makes perfect sense to me and i see that in part two and then there's this other part of it where it feels like it's about conformity within counterculture too like if you think about the time when this came out and back to the like punk rock culture and it's just like well everybody's dressing the same everyone's doing the same thing 
we're enforcing these rules on ourselves. What, what's the point of all this? Yeah, and it uh, touches on one of the things we mentioned about the title, futurisms, and how social movements tend to narrow themselves down to such a way that where everyone... And we see this even in politics where, well, if you're on this team, then you have to agree with all 20 of these different points. Definitely. That is also something that's very subtle through a lot of this album, too, that gets brought up more specifically at other points. But this album is social and political. Like there's political aspects in all of that. I wanted to take a brief moment to kind of like, well, I have a couple personal things to say about this song, but for one, I think a lot of times art gets devalued and its actual importance. But when I think about stuff outside of school or reading that taught me a lot, usually what I go to is music or video games. And it sounds crazy, but this song taught me about Esperanto. I had no idea what Esperanto was before listening to this song in high school. Nobody taught me in high school about Esperanto. I don't know where you first heard of Esperanto, but it's a crazy concept that so many people are just unaware of. Yeah, I mean, uh, I heard about it on this album and at the time didn't really uh, understand what it was until uh, when I studied abroad, one of my friends lived on a street named Esperanto. Just thinking that they're mile marker fans here. Well, I definitely know there are Crimson Spectre fans there now. Well, one other thing I wanted to say is that I've played this song around people that generally don't like hardcore punk or whatever. I've had somebody be like, oh, this song has a real cool like video game sound and they love it until the vocals come in. <laughs> but I think it's true. I think the, the keyboard is very MIDI video game sounding, but it's very dark. It's so dark. Yeah, it is. And I'm glad you brought that up because that puts into, into words I was trying to find earlier. There's like a video game sound going on in this album. Yeah, definitely. And it works. It works so well. Going back to what I was saying earlier, this is one of the three songs that has an alternate version. And they released it years later on Satanic Verses. And it's it's probably the one that has the worst alternate version, in my opinion. It's a little bit slower and more overproduced. I love this more raw sounding version of the song. And it, it's just such a great start to this album. Is there anything else you wanted to add about New Lexicon? No, I think we're ready to move on to the next track. Okay, well, before we do, I'm going to tell this quick story and then I'll, I'll send us there. So I, re I saw Mile Marker a few years back on their reunion and I went to the show with a mutual friend of ours and he wasn't as familiar with Mile Marker's catalog. And some point towards the end of the set, Al got off stage put his keyboard on the top of the stage turned his back to the audience and i looked back at my friend or our friend knowing that this song was coming i just felt it just based on what they were doing and i gave him a knowing look like oh it's about to be new lexicon and then it dawned on me he didn't know what any of that meant <laughs> but i was so like i don't know what it was but you could i felt it in the air i was like they're about to do new lexicon just i, I feel like there's some energy that they have to send out to play this song live definitely let's go on and, and play a little snippet of track two make love to the camera obscura Where would you like to, to start with Make Love to the Camera Obscura? This is just, 
you could take this and someone would think that it was written this year. Yeah. When we think about our obsession with social media, with our public personas and the way we're presented online, I'm just going to read the, the first stanza, if you will. Make love to the camera obscura. Let the time codes date you. Let the strobe scope make love to you. What's the point of doing anything if it's not on camera? Why not give credit where credit's due? It's all on tape. It's all in place. Just wow. Yeah, it's totally, totally what the most like it was 20 years in the future, basically. <laughs> I feel like the humor, there's humor in New Lexicon, but I feel like this song in a lot of ways really shows the sarcastic mile marker sense of humor. Like the line that you said, let the time codes date you. What a great double play. Like it's so brilliant. And the other other thing is I love the bait and hook of the last couple lines in the song. The lines in my most private moments, I put my hands down my pants and you think, oh, it's it's sexual. And then he goes like, I get busted shoplifting by security cameras. <laughs> yeah. Great little bait and switch there. It is. And it also like th there's so much going on here that like a couple more lines. Social control becomes autoerotic asphyxiation. Surveillance is a sensual sensation. Once again, we live in a society where there was a time where people would say, well, I'm not even... I'm not even going to answer poll calls on the rotary phone because they don't need, they have no right to that information about me. As to where now we voluntarily put all of our stuff out there for the world to see. Yeah. In like a, what would you call it? A, a feedback loop of self-confirmation or something. Yeah, no, I agree completely. What's funny is, is that I think when looking at it in the time of its recording, it meant something a little bit different then than it can even mean now be based on how things have changed so much. I mean, I think in its initial writing, it's more just about just a sarcastic commentary on surveillance state cameras in the dressing room cameras on on stop signs and now it, it it's even worse because of what what we've been talking about is how blown up it is i gotta say that the keyboards in this song kill me i love them so much i i don't know what effect it is on there but there it, there's a, a little bloop to it that just really works was uh was there anything else that was standing out to you that you wanted to touch on i'm uh, just getting back to the uh if the camera's not on, uh, what's even the point sort of idea. This also, once again, touches on uh, social and subcultural movements where if nobody sees it, what's even the point? And this idea of you know, what we put out there in public versus our private selves and lack of authenticity in subcultures, things of that nature. Yeah, it very much talks about society as a performative existence. Well put. Well, I think... As much as I'd rather just play this whole song and make everyone listen to it five times. It's not even a standout for me, but <laughs> it's such a good song. I think it's time we play a little bit of track three, Me Sweats Shirt, You Jacket. Honestly, I don't have much to say about this song. I don't think this album has a low point, but this is probably one of my least favorite on it. I would agree with that. And actually, it's funny. We were talking earlier about maybe New Lexicon, if there was going to be a hit on this album. While this is also one of the, I guess, if you could call it a low point, 
I feel like this also would be one of the more uh, commercially viable songs on the album, just because it's a little more toned down. I could see that. Although there are some screamy ass parts in this song. Oh yeah. Especially the part, I, I think the end part, the I'll pull the trigger. If you don't flip the switch, what's the matter you're winning. So laissez-faire, this trophy's yours. Just the delivery of those lines. It's so like gut-wrenching in a way. Yeah. I don't know. What was the song about to you? And and the title, the title, we didn't talk about the title for the last one, but make love to the camera obscura just makes sense in the context of everything we were saying. But the title of this one, again, me sweatshirt, you jacket it's a little i kept trying to parse that and it was kind of evading me with the title i'm i'm conflicted on what to make of it to be honest part of me thinks that's a way of saying two things go together like an outfit or could be pointing out the differences between those and maybe just frustration with maybe frustration with how people allow their political and subcultural views to define them in in their entirety oh i can see that kind of like you're wearing them as the exterior of the clothing. See, my mind always went somewhere that doesn't make sense to the rest of the song because I always thought comfort versus usefulness, I guess. Like, that's the way I always looked at it, but then it wouldn't make sense for it to be me sweatshirt, you jacket, based on the rest of the lyrics of the song. It would almost make sense to be the other way around if that was the meaning. So it never made sense to me. But what you're saying does. So the whole the song as a whole, what, what are you pulling from it meaning-wise then? Just based on the last several lines, I kind of feel like it's someone giving up in terms of how to put this, like, trying to find some answer in politics or in social movements, not necessarily out of indifference, but just be just fed up with all the absurdity of some of these things and how much the lack of, in some cases, critical thinking that goes into it. As we mentioned, there's some performative art aspect to it. And the last part, you can almost see like, I'm just checking out of this whole thing. Yeah, building off of that, because that that all reads to me there. As I also feel like part of that is that he's like, these pseudo-political ideologies mean nothing if you're just shouting them and not doing any kind of, taking any kind of direct action. And I feel like that's really present in this song. Like It's like, so laissez-faire, it's it, laissez-faire, I mean, you know, French, we're not going to get into exactly what it is, but there is a play on the word lazy yeah. in that word exactly. And I think that's what they're playing within that line. And I think that is a, a big thing, even if we circle back to today, like, I mean, I'm guilty of it too. This isn't a critique on anybody, but a lot of people's politics are, I don't want to say performative, performative is the wrong word, but armchair politics. Anyone can say they think and feel these things. What are the, how many people are actually doing stuff? Oh yeah, it's, it's a virtue signal. Yeah. That's the name of the game. Yeah. And I'm guilty of it. I can't like condemn anyone. I've definitely, I think we all are. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. But I think the song addresses that, like, you can't be, oh, I'm super for this unless you're actually working within something. And I think the argument is that so many people saying they're for something without doing anything, it kills any movement that could be made. But I really, I I don't have much else to say about this. Did you have something we missed? Uh, No, I think we're good to move on. All right. Well, let's hear a little bit of track number four, Home Theater Made Easy.
this is my second standout track of this album i love this song a whole lot it plays on what you were saying earlier the the vocal switches the ranges in the vocals it does that really well and the piano in it is just amazing yeah yeah this is definitely a uh pace changer in the album not necessarily for the remainder of it. it's almost like a a little bit of a break from what we've had up to that point. Yeah, it, de- it definitely does. Well, what does the song or the title or both mean to you? Right, so for me, this song touched on a lot of things about almost the entertainment and financial aspect of not only consumerism, but of global conflict and how we've become viewers of the world around us. It's almost removing all these things from reality. And this song... I drew some parallels here with a song from another album that I really loved, which was Entertainment by Gang of Four. And while these albums were separated by a couple of decades, I want to draw a parallel between a few lyrics. Well, I'll just uh, go through home theater mode made easy. See, when the bombs sound, it's all red, blue, and green. When the bombs sound, try our easy payment plan. And if we look at uh, 545 off of Entertainment by Gang of Four, we have, uh, this is the part where the uh, song's really coming to, together. The lines in particular that are repeated are the watch new blood on the 18-inch screen, the corpse is a new personality, uh, repeated over and over until the repetition with uh, repeated heavy drums and bass where guerrilla war struggle is a new entertainment. I just thought there was uh, some very interesting parallels between those two songs. No, that was great to point out. I agree. And you know, the other thing that, this gives me an immediate flashback. I mean, I know we're, we're very close to the same age. When you hear the the red, blue, green, I think about watching Operation Desert Storm on the news and everything was in night vision in green. That's true. And I wonder if that's part of what that reference is. But I also felt like, you know, exactly like what, what you said this is about watching it all. I felt like there is even a hint on this. The way I put it in my notes is less elegant or well thought out, but I just like this song is about commercialism to recycling to war because they're also hinting at the plastic nature of, of so many things throughout this song too. I, I don't know. I I think you kind of hit the nail, the nail right on the head is, is a good pace change. And it's, I don't know. It's hard for me to express sometimes because I do just really love this song. Well, and this whole album, it's what makes it so challenging at times to articulate because it's so layered and there are so many different directions you could take any of these songs or analyzing them. It's just, in some cases, it's almost overwhelming. Yeah. Like you don't even know where to begin to talk about a given song or set of lyrics. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that it's not lyrically dense. Like they're not, the lyrics aren't like three pages long but they really do pack a lot into the like two or three stanzas they use. But I'm, I'm good with home theater made easy. If you are, I'm good too. All right, well, let's go ahead and play a little bit of track five infant technology. want to say first about infant technology is that for some reason my mind goes to the vocals in this song all the time even like you know i'll just be doing something and i'll be like 
used my own diva. I don't know. The the vocals there just are really effective and haunting and great. Oh, definitely. I agree with that. And like for such a short song, lyrically speaking, it's so heavy. And it's actually one of my uh, favorite songs, uh, favorite tracks on the album. Yeah, I also have it as a standout. It's so good. The vocals, like where I said, were haunting. But the other thing that like didn't catch to me as much when I was younger, but definitely does now is the spoken word part in the breakdown of the song. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't have the exact quote out, but it's about the individual rights versus corporate rights. And it's a perfect statement. And it's gotten even worse since this was recorded. But yeah, I mean, you pointed out earlier, uh, I was off on the date of when this was released and, and it still feels so recent, but this really did come out in that time. Like if you think about some of the uh, films that were coming out around the time that this was released, we're talking about like Fight Club, American Beauty, and it kind of fits with sort of that existential crisis of the uh, American corporate worker or corporate culture. Oh, definitely. And, you know, that's another thing about futurisms and another theme that comes up is when machines replace us or when technology will replace us. And I think that's part of what the title is about here. Infant technology is just like this album is about seeing the start of those things. And then it leads to an existential crisis being like, well, where are we headed if this is where we are now? I just, uh, you just made me think that because as you were saying, making that point, my mind went to a certain place and I realized this should have been the theme song for season two of The Wire. <laughs> okay, I, I'll I'll go write David Simon that he needs to re-release it with that. Yeah, re-release it, you know, go back, change it, give us a Frank Sabatka prequel. Yeah, yes, please. We need the Frank Sabatka prequel. <laughs> oh, man, that would be, <laughs> I don't know what that would even be. But yeah, so this song musically is is another, it's it's a good mix because it's slower, a little bit like Home Theater Made Easy, but the breakdowns and stuff were much harder hitting than the last one. This little section of the album, like you were saying, is where the they really play with the pacing, but really effectively. I don't know, is there any anything you wanted to add to it? I think we're ready to uh, get some Xanax. All right. Yeah, let's let us get a little bit of track six Xanax. I think we earlier we were saying that this is a near perfect album. I think the thing about this song is, is I'm never going to seek out this song on its own. I'm never going to be like, I need to hear Xanax by Mile Marker, but it belongs in the album so much. Oh, yeah. I believe the first time I heard this, I actually thought that the CD was paused well into it because it's very quiet and takes a while to really develop. Once it finally hits, yeah, like you like you said, it's not a standout track for me, but you can't have the album without it. No, not at all. I mean, it involves that whole pacing thing they're working with, obviously, but it also goes with the theme. If we're looking at the futurisms and the starts of problems, prescription drugs in the 90s is when that started to boom. Yeah. Yeah, and it is so quiet at first, though. I, I was listening to the album in preparation for this, and... And Sarah walks in and was like, I thought you were listening to music. 
And I was like, I, I am. Just be really quiet for a minute and you'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on in the background of this song. There's a voice going on in the background that I can't quite make out. And I don't think you're supposed to be able to. I don't know if you caught anything that was really said in the background. No, and that's something that I love about this album. We mentioned it before, like uh, the two voices going and how I'm not sure, like you mentioned, I'm not sure that we're supposed to know what's going on in the background. I think there's supposed to be sort of this mysterious stuff happening. The ad that just builds on the theme and the feeling of the music entirely. Yeah, so obviously calling the song Xanax kind of makes it pretty self-descriptive, but what do you feel about the meaning of this song and the meaning of its place in this album? Well, here we're seeing... Uh... Once again, we're talking a lot of history here, but by the late 90s, we were fully on the trajectory we're on now of becoming a highly institutionalized society. I mean, the problems with the American prison system are well known, but here it's drawing parallels to prison facilities and gated communities and how we seem to be locked in no matter where we are. So either you are, either you're going to be a part of this corporate world in which your life's going to consist of, you know, uh, rush hour traffic twice a day, going home to your suburban house where you're going to, you know, pay your bills, uh, turn on the TV, uh, maybe even uh, take some uh, prescription drugs for to deal with the depression or whatever else you're dealing with as a result of this mundane lifestyle. Or you could just reject that and, you know, be poor, get caught up in the other side of that where you you're taking drugs or doing things to just the same as the other people to not think about how shitty your existence is in this system. But for you, it's going to turn out different. You're going to go be locked away because and we're going to get productivity out of you that way. Since you won't give it to us voluntarily, we're going to you know put you in a prison camp. Right. Yeah. No, that's way, way better articulated than, than not anything I wrote about it. But I do feel like they really audibly capture how xanax can feel yes especially if you're not someone that's like prescribed xanax that like floaty weird spacey feeling that this song emotes is so perfect for trying to capture that i very much feel like this song is about the root of prescription drugs which is society <laughs> but but yeah, it, it really is and it really captures it. And it's hard to call it a song by like a classical sense of the, the word. I know a lot of people would be like, this isn't a song. It's more of a mood piece. And it is it is kind of a mood piece in between probably the first half and the second half of the album. But it's so, like we were saying, it's so necessary here. It brings the emotion down from anger to a really spacey, dark place where you're not sure. And it's super effective. Oh, yeah. Is there anything else? I think we're good on that one. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to track number seven, Address. Musically, right out the gate, this is one of my favorite tracks on the album. It hits real hard from the very beginning. It kind of sets a tone that I think goes into the two tracks that follow it to an extent. Uh, not necessarily musically, but especially with the, next, the track that comes after it, there's a certain themes developed here where it's almost like a fatalistic outlook on 
the uh, potential for positive change in society. If uh, Since we've identified the theme of alienation from the capitalist system and of technology taking over uh, from the working class, this song is almost like the, it's that point of giving up. This is the white flag almost. And not in, not just in terms of the situation in society, but even trying to deal with it. No, I agree with that for sure. I will say, well, before that, let's let me break it down and say there are so many lines in this song that I just love. Like it's really just these this one little section of lines where I just just love this little part where it starts with, uh, "What I want is metal everywhere, steel plated machinery." while I sit inside to make the soundtrack to the collapse of everything. Just like that night when I was high on something, I wanted to walk around town and see nothing but old gutted out warehouses about to fall down. At least that would make you see the urgency of your state. The revolution that you speak of isn't locked away in a crimp shrine song, and it sure as hell is not going to come from the top and trickle down. And it will, under absolutely no circumstances, even be minutely advanced by scoffing at black shoes and black hair. Like, I love that part. I don't know if there's another part of the song lyrically that does it for you, but that one specifically does it for me. Yeah, that's one of the ones that I really zeroed in on as well. And we, it gets into this idea of, you know, well, if we're going to have any kind of movement, then everyone's going to have to look and think like me. We can't have solidarity under any other circumstances. It's so, like, you know what? If it's going to be like this, just burn it down. Right. Well, I wonder, I also wonder, you know, there's not stories, stories historically at some point in time all of the members of mile marker lived in this house in chapel hill uh, uh they wrote the song landlord later about that house do you think parts of this song are about that house too i can see that definitely and then the other the other little thing i, I really was curious about is doesn't it feel like this song is addressed to someone specifically it does along with the ones that come immediately after it and that's something i was thinking about when i was uh taking another listen to this and taking a deep dive into the lyrics of this one and the two tracks that follow. Yeah. I have a question. How would you describe the vocal style of this song? It's almost like the lyrics are coming over a loudspeaker somewhere. Somewhere like it's just like a monologue. Yeah. Well, and that's why I asked because it's almost spoken word. Yeah. It's not quite spoken word though. There's still there's still like punk vocal aspects of it and stuff, but it's just so spoken word. The reason I asked is because this is also, this is the second song on this album that they did elsewhere. Now this one was the other version was released before this as a single completely different feel to it. Yeah. So the, the reason I, I bring that up is because when you hear the version on futurisms, you're like, yeah, it's kind of spoken word. But then when you listen to the, the original version, that one's way more spoken word. Yeah. Although the lyrics are much more obscured in the other version. Yeah. Yeah, I agree too. I I like this version of the song, the original version of the song too, but I do think the version on Futurisms is the better song. And it doesn't, it seems like there was less production put into the Futurisms version in a positive way. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, plays much more like a rock song in the, the futurisms version and the uh, the original version is like a weird experimental thing that i like but it's clear that they liked what they were doing but wanted to fit it into this album exactly well i think we're ready to move on now unless there's something else we missed i think we're good to go all right well let's hear a little bit of track eight occupational hazards 
So what's really funny is that we both agree with track seven for address that the better version of the song is the more rocking version of the song. It's funny because Occupational Hazards is the third song on this album that they have an other, a second version of. And the second version is actually on their first album. And it, the the first album's version is the more rocking version of the song. It doesn't have, key, it has samples, but it doesn't have keyboards. And I think this is the better version still, the one with keyboards here. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. This song is great. And uh, we can talk about all different kinds of things, but I will say something that really stood out to me re-listening to it for this is that I really like the effect they use on Al's voice for this song. Yeah. It works so well. I mean, what, what do you what do you think about, about it musically or vocally? I just love the lyrics. We breathe in summer, pray for nuclear winter. Hope it ends with a bang, not a whimper. Oh yeah, those are so great. The, I mean, that whole first verse I think of all the time. And then the other thing I was going to say is that the end of the song just kills me. I love it. The I'm your best man part, like it's so good. Well, let's, I mean, I feel like this song in a lot of ways is very straightforward, but what what do you get from the meaning of it? Well, I think it, like I mentioned before, I think it uh, adds something to the previous song, Address. And this one also kind of sounds like, if uh, Address sounds like it's about someone or something in particular, this could kind of be an extension of that, especially with the I'm your best man, motherfucker. Yeah. I also feel like it's very much about jobs are tearing people down as a whole while the machines are making things more redundant. And that's something that's only grown since this was released. Yeah. Once again, you're right. There's that uh, continued theme about work culture and technology. I, I just keep thinking, I don't want to get too repetitive, but I just, it really strikes me how relevant this is over over two decades after it was originally released yeah more even more relevant than it was at the time which is it's crazy and i think i mean it's perfect because that's what they named this album futurisms and we're sitting here in this discussion seeing how how perfect that title for this album is and how much it is a critique of the future i mean it really is and that's what really makes this thing an album of of its own you know the whole piece is one thing it's not just I mean, there are lots of songs on here. I can just listen to the song and be happy. But the whole thing is such a full statement. Yeah, this would be great as a re-release right now. Yeah. If, if people, because you've got a whole generation of people who've never heard of Mile Marker. And if you just give them this album and they would probably think, oh man, this is, but like, this just sums up everything so much. I can't believe how amazing this new album is. <laughs> right. <laughs> be in the iTunes top 100 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I wish. Uh, I would be really happy if Mile Marker got that much uh, acclaim. I feel like they're one of the more obscure bands that I love, honestly. It's hard to believe that they're as obscure as they are. Yeah, it really is. Well, I don't know. Is there something we missed on Occupational Hazards? Not that comes immediately to mind. Well, let's go on and play a little bit of track nine, which is the hardest to pronounce, as you brought up earlier. Sonnenabolism. <laughs> So 
I said it was hard to pick standout tracks earlier, right? This is my fourth standout track for this album. <laughs> and it's not done yet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this this song is another one of those pace changers. Uh, with the previous tracks, you're almost not ready for it, but it's uh, it, it's where it belongs on the album. It kind of softens things up a little bit, gets a little more melodic before finish. It's almost like it's an anthem for someone who's just fed up with shit, but in a way, this kind of uplifting tone to it. You got to love it. You took you took the words out of my mouth. One of my notes is exactly such an anthem. And it's a weird anthem, but it's just those last lines, the delivery of I'm going on strike until conditions improve. Almost any time in my life when I'm really upset and like I'm backing away from this, that plays in my head. It's like when you're working a shitty job and you start thinking about country and you're like, take this job and shove it. But it's just like, it doesn't have to be about a job. It's about anything where I'm just like, I'm going on strike until conditions improve. I think I'm just going to use that all day today and everything that I do, whether it's with my <laughs> girlfriend or thinking about going back to work on Monday or even going shopping. It's like softly say, I'm going on strike until conditions improve. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to touch about uh, this song is a lot of music is about relationships or it's about love about romantic love we can get into that conversation now or some other time this is the only song on the album to me that feels like it is a relationship song at all yeah i, I agree 100 that's one of the things that i kind of thought i felt like this gets away from some of those broader cultural political and social themes this is more of an interpersonal relationship song. And I think there's ways of looking at it beyond that too, in general, but it just, it does feel most personal. And it feels like the voices in the background, which sometimes you can hear clearly and sometimes you can't, are kind of rambling through either a breakup or a travel scenario. I don't know if you caught both of those, but. I didn't catch the travel scenario. I really like that though. You just imagine being stuck in a car with someone who you're like done with at that point, They're like spending hours on the road in this awkward relationship that you both know is done. Yeah. I think also the really nice thing about this song is that it is a simple but pretty piano melody too. Like that piano works so well by itself. Just it's not much. It's not really flashy and showy, but it does exactly what it needs to do. Oh, yeah. I wish I pulled more actual quotes of what the voices are saying, because it's easier to hear them in this one than it was in address. But I didn't actually write down what it was. But that's something they've used a lot is the background voice that you're not fully supposed to understand. I feel like this song does continue with the themes in a more personal way, like we were saying. But part of this album is about communication through technology mostly but communication and this song is very much about the breaking of communications i think the song speaks for itself in a lot of ways and i think most people should go give this one a listen but was there something else you wanted to add no i'm just getting pretty pumped for these next <laughs> all right well then let's go ahead and play a little bit of track 10 alchemy this is after the previous song we got another tone switch here 
And it's going to lead into one of the strongest finishes mm-hmm. that I think I've ever heard on an album. And this is one of my favorite tracks, although I know we're it's getting down to a process of elimination as to what the uh, ultimate one is. But I just feel like this was such an amazing song. Musically, lyrically, uh, it just, yeah, I'm, I'm having trouble finding words to describe it. Well, I'll interject this. Sometimes I forget about this one lyrically. Because I'm not to say I don't like the lyrics, but like the way they hit is not the vocals hit, not necessarily what's saying is so effective at times. I don't need to focus on the lyrics, but it's also screamed really hard in this song. (laughs) But the one line that always comes to mind when I think of this song is the ratios are wrong, but have you heard the hit song? (laughs) Like, I don't know why, but it just always comes to my mind when I think about this song. The machine just drones on and on, obliterating everything worth doing. Like just beautiful lyric like it's that's i really like the beyond the the screaming that's what i'm all about here yeah oh it's so well delivered well how do you how do you want to break down the the title and the the lyrics here well it gets i think almost into how we're changing in our very nature as society moves gets more and more technological and it's almost rewiring our brains and to be honest as a public school teacher i don't maybe i'm doxing myself here as a public school teacher, I see this. It's like children are wired differently now than they were when we were coming up. I, I think we were that last generation that could play outside with a stick for four hours. But so much of it's like I see this in teen, in the teenagers who come through my classrooms. Like if you remove some of these external stimuli that they've become so attached to, you can almost see them become agitated the way that a drug addict or an alcoholic would become agitated when removed from all these external things they come to depend on. No, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, my big note about it was the song is about the human machine. But when I take into account what you're saying, and then I take into account the title of alchemy, alchemy is turning some substance into gold. A lot of times we think about that when we think about alchemy, it's not always what it is, but we think of, you know, an alchemist using ingredients to turn one thing into another it is the alchemy of of social interactions turning human individuals into a more hive-minded machine in a lot of ways so yeah i mean the song fits with the whole rest of the album and it is we just went from this really soft song to probably one of the hardest hitting songs on the whole album i would say i don't know if you'd agree with that oh i agree and uh it is. It's. I'm glad you brought it up early. I wasn't even thinking about it when I was taking my notes, but the pacing of this album is part of what makes it so strong. To be able to jump from that to this, and then I don't know what else you wanted to say about this. I can't think of anything off the top of my head at the moment. But... Well, let's bring the pacing to its natural conclusion, shall we? Let's do it. Let's talk a little bit about track 11, Engine. So I think it's safe to say we're both in agreement here. Definitely a standout track of the album. 
oh yeah, man, uh, I've been alluding to it all along. This is my favorite track on the album. This is the track I always think of when I think of this album. And just the tone the music sets from the second it hits, and then the first lyrics you hear being, I want to tie you down, break your arms, break your neck. And then you have the dual, the uh, background vocals coming in. It just hits on a whole different level. Oh, yeah. The the way they work the vocals in this song in general is just incredible. This is the uh, first time on an album Roby sings at all. And then on the next album, she, next couple albums, she sings a lot more. But using her here, not using her on the rest of the album and having her vocals come in for that last couple lines here there's just some magic about it yeah that that scream that comes out like that getting up to the final the finale of the song is just yeah this was the perfect ending to what i think we've agreed is pretty close as close to a perfect album as you can get oh yeah definitely i mean it's it's impossible to make an absolutely perfect album but if this is a contender for perfect albums i mean this is definitely top 20 albums of all time for me probably no pro- no doubt it's so good yeah i'd have to put it in my top 20 easily it's so great so i think what's interesting is earlier when we were talking about genre you said that there was some emo thrown in into the mix which there definitely is i think there are a couple places it points out on the rest of the album but i feel like some of that's really strong on on this song like i feel like this song is a real interesting mesh of sounds oh yeah mesh of sounds mesh of just how it fits with the rest of the album and it seems to based on the lyrics and the delivery the vocals this has an element where you could tie it into any of the uh themes we've already established but it also feels deeply personal at the same time yeah and i think it's it does feel deeply personal it's different than some sonobolism or whatever and but they both feel personal this song to me almost invokes feeling more than the lyrics imply not to say that there isn't implication in the lyrics but i feel like i absorb more from the song when i'm just thinking about it itself instead of like trying to break down the lyrics because it's a little bit hard to break down the lyrics for me when i really sit there and try to yeah i think it's all about the music and just the overall tone of the song yeah and i feel like i almost wonder if this song is the mission statement of the album like we we talk about it feeling personal you talked about what those first lines that you really liked but reading back to read back the first four lines and i'll read them for the listener or the first five lines hell i'll read the first first half of the song for the listener here sorry but read it back and listen to me read it and think about it as mile marker saying what they wanted you to get from this album so I want to tie you down, brace your arms, break your neck, make you feel every night like the needle hits, just right in all the wrong places, in the wrong vein. I want to make you feel closer to dead. I want to make you feel right at home. I had never thought of it in terms of this being a mission statement for the album until you brought that up. And then we looked back at the lyrics there. I think that is the best way to uh, describe this song i never looked at it from that side the truth is is this wasn't even in my notes i didn't even think of that until right now when we were having this conversation it'd be a great way to describe the feeling of listening to this album (laughs) right yeah exactly like i don't know why it just clicked for me now but even those lines i want to make you feel closer to dead i want to make you feel right at home kind of what the music does in a way yeah so i wonder i wonder if there's any of that in it because there's other stuff that lyrically just doesn't 
add up to me, but is delivered in such a way that it evokes a feeling for sure. But when you look at it like that, maybe it starts to fall into place a little bit more. I'm still a little uh, blank on the, the title. Do you have any thoughts on, on the title of it? We can maybe think of it as the engine being the driving force for the album. And I would have made that connection had you not mentioned before that this could be like a mission statement of the album. Maybe this is what drives it, the feeling that drives it. Yeah, I think you're right about if we're, I mean, who knows what they had in mind, but if we're looking at it the way we've both kind of just stumbled upon, that makes the most sense. I guess the other thing to really say is we touched on it earlier, but and, and it's something we keep coming back to on this show, but a really strong start and a really strong end can, can make an album. And I think this song and where New Lexicon started really, really make this album so strong that they, this whole ending movement, like, like we said, starting two songs ago, the pace changes all the way till here. And then in this song, the pace changes a couple times and it leaves you with a feeling. Anything else we wanted to add to engine? Just how much? Like this is you can't just immediately move it. If you're if you got a playlist going and you just listen to this album all the way through, you're gonna have to take a while between the end of this song and whatever you're gonna listen to next. You wanna let this whole experience kind of settle in for a minute and to digest it. Yeah, no, they definitely end this song with something for you to sit with you just it when it ends you feel it well i think that brings us to the the close of the track by track discussion now that we've gone through and looked at it together do you have any uh, final thoughts about the album as a whole well i'm actually this is a great discussion i think because you brought up a lot of points i've never thought of before and looked at it from some different angles likewise and just yeah, it's always good to take an album that means so much to uh some to a friend and kind of get to know the different ways you were looking at it the whole time, despite the fact that, you know, you both love it, but what makes you love it? Very cool. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting how we lined up on a lot of things and then some things were like, you know, and also like I was saying about that last song, this is one of the, the nice things about this process in general is sometimes being in a conversation works different than doing research. Things came to my mind just because of, of the way our conversations were going that, it would have probably never occurred to me if I was just sitting here reading the lyrics and listening to the songs over and over again. So it's always a great uh, spark. And yeah, I feel like we we got a lot of info out of this album. And I feel like any listener that that likes post-hardcore or hardcore or whatever, aggressive music, however you want to describe it, should do themselves a favor and go listen to this album. But in that vein, say someone listened to this album and they asked you for a couple other albums you would recommend mile marker or otherwise you don't don't have to be what would what would you recommend someone based on listening to this album and enjoying it well i can go based on sort of my own tastes after this i know that for a long time cds that sat in my uh discman were uh memory minus by sleepy time trio that's one of the immediate places my mind goes or even uh, uh you're a woman i'm a machine by death from above 1979 and even uh I can think of a few more, but those are two examples that immediately come to mind. Well, I came up with with a couple examples, and one of them was Sleepy Time Trio. The uh, drummer on this album was actually the drummer in Sleepy Time Trio. The uh, another good post or pre mile marker thing to check out is Hellbender, which is Al, the bass player and one of the singers. More pop punk band before this. If someone is wanting more of their like electronic Nintendo screamy music. There's a band called Fucking Werewolf Asso, and 
I highly recommend them. And if you just want to look more into the the experimental sides of hardcore and stuff, I would greatly recommend Black Eyes and Mia Me. Well, this conversation has been great. I've really enjoyed it. I'm so glad we got to talk about one of both of our favorite albums. And I hope we inspire somebody to go listen to this album as soon as possible. Uh, thank you so much for being here today. This has been great. Uh, thank you for having me, man. Yeah, thanks. that brings us to the end of another episode of new ears as always we'd love to hear questions or comments whether it's on this album this episode or any part of the show in general so please follow us on facebook there are helpful links in the episode info to do that on the next episode we will be covering the album living mirage by the head and the heart we hope you'll join us but until then thanks for listening and stay safe is an abandoned mascot production and part of the abandoned mascot network a loose affiliation of podcasts for media arts creators and connoisseurs for more information follow us on twitter at abandoned masco one that's abandoned m-a-s-c-o and the number one thanks for listening